Welcome, everybody, to Catch Potato Theater here on the Fandom Podcast Network, where we like to celebrate our favorite movies. You know, if you own your favorite movie digitally or on physical media. However, whenever and however it comes on and you're sitting on the couch, you just sit down and watch it and you enjoy your favorite movie. And that is the definition of what this show is all about. My name is Kevin, and I'm your host for Couch Potato Theater, but I need to get my fellow Oh, let's see. Okay, Corralers or our Cowboys. And of course, with me, as always, is my brother of the Fandom Podcast Network and, of course, a co-founder of the Fandom Podcast Network. Welcome, Mr. Kyle Wagner. What's up, my friend? I am glad to be here because, one, I'm coughing like Doc Holliday. I'm full of latinum. So if anybody is a huckleberry for this podcast, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well said. I hope you feel better, man. Uh, hopefully you're not as bad as Doc Holliday, where he has to change his environment and uh, among other things. Well, I, I might be playing a little sicker than I really am. I'm just, you know. and i could not do the classic western style someone who knows a lot about westerns and also has uh, knows a little bit about the lifestyle and maybe the weapons and maybe the ladies bring on mr lee himself how are you sir uh look it's a pair of phyllis's fisticates over here how you doing gents (laughs) dastard lee fillings this i love it that's good Uh, i had to have a cowboy name (laughs) <laughs> he feels a little more like a Johnny Ringo. Just saying. <laughs> no, I'd well, win a fight. <laughs> well, guys, welcome to Couch Potato Theater. And we, of course, are discussing uh, Tombstone because why? Well, as of us recording this, this is December of 2023. And on December 25th, 1993, Tombstone came to us in the big screen. It's the Fandom Podcast Network. And of course, The reason why I've chosen Tombstone, not just because it is celebrating its 30th anniversary, but this happens to be my favorite Western of all time. And we'll definitely get into more of that later. But guys, let's do a little plot description here. After success cleaning up Dodge City, Wild Earp moves to Tombstone, Arizona. He wishes to get rich in obscurity. He meets his brothers there, as well as an old friend, Doc Holliday. A band of outlaws that call themselves the Cowboys are causing problems in the region with various acts of random violence and inevitably come into a confrontation with Holiday and the Earps. Which leads, of course, to a shootout at the OK Corral. All right. Guys, um, do you have any favorite comments? I guess any favorite quotes that kind of come to your mind? Kyle? Well, basically anything Doc Holiday says throughout the movie. Yeah, it comes to mind. Um, th- this movie is full of great quotes. I mean, say I'll be your Huckleberry. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's great. Um, I-, I could go. I, you know, I just watched this, and you'll have to forgive me because I really do have cold medicine in my system, so my brain's a little foggy. But I mean, literally, there's any interaction with Doc Holliday and Johnny Ringo is just completely quote, quote worthy the whole time, even if it is in Latin. Dastard Lee, uh, he's right. It seems like everything that Doc Holliday, Val Kilmer said in this, uh, you got your favorite quotes in this? I mean, you know, Kylie couldn't come up with anything, really. Uh, I'm wondering if it's not your game. Uh, I know, let's have a spelling contest. <laughs> I love that one. Um, that's a good one. Uh, your boys may get me in a rush, but not before I turn your head into a canoe. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's pure gold. 
Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, uh, and then I got to say, I have actually Johnny Tylered somebody once. I was Johnny uh, Tyler. <laughs> yep. I was uh, bouncing and uh, somebody said something very nice about the bartenders that I had a little thing for. And I bounced the back of his favorite head off of a wall and he hit the ground. And anytime he would move, I just scream at him and I just left him there for 20 minutes. And then after a while, like I'm talking with people and they're like staring and I'm ignoring him. And this dude's terrified. After a while, I looked at him like, I'm sorry, I forgot you were there. You can go. (laughs) 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 So, uh, and literally two of the guys came up later like, did you just steal that from Tombstone? I'm like, no, I did it better. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. If if anyone who knows Lee and have seen him in person, uh, they would understand. I right, get to call the guy playing Jack Reacher small. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Literally. Well, as I mentioned, this is my favorite Western of all time, and we'll get into that shortly. But I kind of want to uh, start off about when and where you first saw this film, because I remember the hype for this movie was pretty big, especially with the cast that we came in that was coming into this. And the fact that it was a Christmas Day movie release was a big deal, too. I remember seeing this on Christmas Day. I don't know if it was before, uh, probably after Christmas, you know, festivities. And I saw it later in the day. Uh, Kyle, what about you? Uh, what were you, where were you and uh, what were your thoughts of seeing this movie for the first time? Honestly, because it was 93, which is one of my last years in Alaska. And I remember this very well. I wanted to see this and we had a severe, severe cold snap for like three weeks where it was like 40 below. And that was the warmest temperature of the day. So I did not get the chance to see this in the theater because it got out because nobody was going to the theaters at all. So I had to catch it on home video when it came out. And it's a phenomenal movie. It it is easily one of the top five greatest Westerns, in my opinion, of all time. It's it's I think it is the defining roles of both Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp in this film. And I think it's it's one of those movies that. It perfected the modern Western, but still paid tribute to the classical western as well oh well said well said lee what about you when and where did you first see it um well in true couch potato theater uh fashion uh i probably saw this on tbs usa wgn one of the the great uh 90s uh stuck at home networks uh for the first time um i missed this one in theaters um i will also say that this dvd came with me when i moved to paris and i was one of the only kids that had a laptop that uh, and a DVD player. So people would like go over to my apartment and we would watch this in groups of like 12 on a laptop along with others. Got into an argument with my friend Ellen over whether or not Johnny Tyler was actually played by Billy Bob Thornton and the battery died before we could get to the credits. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> a great is. story. First yeah. of all, back then your laptop was probably a big screen in Paris. <laughs> yeah, it was it was actually a pretty good size. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Wow. That's that's great. Yeah, I remember seeing it in the theater. And I one of the things that caught me off guard about this film was we knew that we were going to get the big um uh payoff with the okay corral. We were gonna get it because we saw that we saw scenes of it in the trailers and all that kind of stuff. But what I thought was fascinating about this film from the get-go was that it's not at the end of the film, like a lot of other retellings of this famous scene. And this particular gunfight in this uh, in, in history, it really marks a turning of of the page when it comes to 
or early organized crime by these cowboys and these gangs. And what I thought was interesting was that the fact that the okay corral was like in the middle of the film. It's the catalyst for what happens afterwards where there's a lot of, uh, you know, debate up, you know, where they, was it justice? Was it revenge? Was it cold blood killing? Yeah, a little bit of everything basically. So, yeah. Um, so that was one of the things I was surprised about because there was so much good stuff that happened after the okay corral. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's not going to end here. It keeps going. It keeps going. Lee, did that catch you by surprise at all at the time? Um, no, probably because I had seen Wyatt Earp before this, the mm-hmm. uh, Kevin yep. Costner one, yep. which I, I think got uh, un- unfortunately maligned because I think that's a great movie. Uh, but uh, it was kind of like you say, usually you get the 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 ultimate battle in the uh, end. And this is the one that everyone knows about. Nobody knows about the rest of it. It's kind of like uh, putting the Battle of Hoth at the beginning of Empire. So. That's a good point. Yeah, Kyle, what about you? The fact that the OK Corral battle was kind of uh, the catalyst for everything else that happened next. Um, I'm, I'm in a little bit of a Lee's boat in that I, while I hadn't seen the Kevin Costner Wyatt Earp, I knew that was a big discussion between Tombstone and that film being out at the same time. So everybody, it was kind of ge- a general knowledge that, hey, there is a lot more to this than the OK Corral. This tells a lot more of the story. Right. And, you know, I got to be honest with you, it's one of my favorite things about this movie is that it does, the OK Corral isn't the end-all be-all of the film. And there's so much more to it. It's a good point. Great point. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I wanted to uh, ask you guys about, and I kind of touched on it or teased it a little bit, is where does this movie uh, compare with your other favorite Westerns? Uh, and we'll talk about how uh, and get your thoughts on how you compare to other Westerns that talk about the OK Corral, but just Westerns in general, because I grew up watching, you know, all the Clint Eastwood films, a lot of the movies from the, uh, the forties and the fifties with my dad. So I've seen a lot of Westerns. That's why Westerns are one of my favorites, but, you know, I connected to the ones I think first, mostly with, uh, you know, um, the Clint Eastwood films, of course, uh, for obvious reasons, because they were done so well and the music and, you know, the, 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 the lone, you know, the, the high plains drifter guy and, you know, men of few words type of thing and really good shot, just looked badass. But the one Western that I saw that I really connected to first, it was my favorite Western for the longest time until this movie came out was Silverado because I love the cast. I love the music. Uh, there was, there was some fun in it yet. There was, you know, some seriousness in it. And uh, to this date, I think it's probably my second or third favorite film until I saw this one. Um, and the reason why this film is my favorite is because not only is it just the amazing cast that we get here, there's like over 80 different characters that say lines in this, but we get little stories of each of them, which is great. But I think what really makes this film really good is the villains, the cowboys and the characters that we learn about them and what they go through. I think is fascinating. And so uh, Lee, I want to go to you next with this is uh, what were some of your favorite Westerns and where does this one compare? Um, well, uh, I love to hear you talk about my favorite Western Silverado. Uh, to me, that one is like the, the gold standard for me. Um, That's your favorite. Yes. Sir. I Absolutely loved it. Um, I'd put this one somewhere in the top 10, maybe not towards the top of it, but uh, it's one like, Sort of like Doritos. Like, if there's Doritos, I'm going to eat them all the time. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say that they're the best food ever, 
but I eat more Doritos than I eat like beef Wellington, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so what's your, okay. What's your favorite Doritos? Mine's cool ranch. What's yours? Um, cool ranch, pretty close tie with the nacho. I don't think that they've ever come up with a better one after cool ranch came out in like 86. Like they keep trying and it's just lame. Okay. So where does tombstone in your, your, your Dorito scale? Where, where is that exactly? I'm trying to figure that out. Uh, you know, I would put it, uh, Hmm. Okay, for comparison, let's move away from Doritos yeah. for a second. For comparison, what are your other top five Westerns? So, you know, um, de- I, I definitely put, um, I'd say like the the Ennio Morricone, uh, Clint Eastwood uh, trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just lumped that as one story. I'd put that at probably number three or four. Um, Silverado's up top, Unforgiven, kind of hard to right. uh, step away from that. Um Magnificent Seven. Right. Um, and then uh, really The Quick and the Dead. Oh, good. That yeah. was just uh, being a Sam Raimi nerd when that came out and seeing like, oh, he can do this with other stuff. Yeah. Just yeah. like blew my mind. And I love that one. That, uh, that That's good stuff right there. So you would definitely put Tombstone in your top 10 then. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, th- I'm glad you mentioned the, uh, quick and the dead. I, we've talked about this on the network before. Maybe we'll visit again. We'll see. But, um, one of the newer ones that really kind of rises for me is open range with Kevin Costner. Yeah. Uh, that one's a really good one too. Um, and quick and the dead definitely is, is up there. Those are, those are oh, Appaloosa as well. Oh, good, yeah. good choice. Yeah. yeah. Good, good choice. Yeah. Kyle, where does uh, tombstone rate in your favorite Westerns and what are they? It, it's probably in my top five, easily probably maybe even top top three more because of the performances in it than anything. It, that, I think that's where tombstone is really sets itself apart is with the performances in it. But, you know, I like you guys the, the Eastwood trilogy, good, bad, the ugly, all, all of that. But I also think that's a little bit of a different time in how that we've, portrayed westerns too you got your more of your classic spaghetti westerns there um another one for me is once upon a time in the west mm. that's, that's a classic um tombstone hit at an interesting time because the western had kind of been forgotten about kind of at this point in hollywood and after tombstone it really kind of got forgot about again until i i think really a few things here and there but one of the more the more modern restaurants i'm a fan of is 310 to, the remake of 310 to yuma yeah that's a good one mm-hmm. good good call yeah definitely. but i i think i think tombstone is probably when you when you look at it for me the biggest combination of western but hollywood with it too in that it stayed western but because of all the people in it and the amazing performances there's a little bit of a hollywood feel to it right and, when you look back at like the Clint Eastwoods and stuff like that, that doesn't feel quite as so much Hollywood. It feel it has a little bit more of an edge to it. Same with Unforgiven, which is a phenomenal film. But there's just something about Tombstone that I, I think it it finds that perfect amalgamation of the two. Right, right. Good call. Good call. One of the things that I did want to ask you that I alluded to, guys, is how do you compare this movie to other westerns that talked about either Wyatt Earp or the famous okay corral uh shootout and uh that's why this one i think is is the best personally and i remember seeing some of the older films as well and of course i did see um wyatt earp as well this one i i think they went they took special care in trying to recreate what actually happened uh and 
you know, using all the historical uh, information that they had, trying to keep it um, as long as it actually happened. Because I forgot what which old one I was watching, but it seemed like it, the shootout went it for like two minutes, <laughs> and and in fact, it was like less than thirty seconds. Uh, but uh, Lee, what about you? Where does the uh, um, topic of Wyatt Earp and, of course, um, the OK Corral, how do you think they handled it compared to other films? Um, I honestly think that as um, in talking about Wyatt Earp, I think Wyatt Earp is a better Wyatt Earp story. Um, there is no character development for Kurt Russell's Wyatt Earp at all. Uh, he remains exactly the same from start to finish in this. Um, you don't understand how he gets to where he is. Um, and at the end, um, he pretty much just does as he always has. Um, the Kevin Costner is wide herb is equally as bitter and hard, uh, to swallow, but like also, um, you see the kind of pain that's, uh, caused him. Uh, I would say that would be the the thing I, I don't think that uh, I'd say the same for Dennis Quaid's uh, Doc Holliday, uh, much less interesting character. But I also say that the other Earp boys were much more interesting. Uh, I feel Sam Elliott was wasted in in this movie, uh, and probably Bill Paxton's weakest performance. Interesting, interesting. You know, um, the only problem that I had with the shootout in this film is. When and it's the way that it's cut when you see Val Kilmer's Doc Holiday with the two barrel shotgun and he ends up shooting three, three shots. <laughs> That's the only issue that I have with it, but that was probably done in editing and they didn't catch that or you know, didn't matter. But Kyle, what about you? Uh, the topic of uh, you know, the OK Corral shootout and how and White Hurt himself. I think, as far as the shootout goes, I think this one's probably the best film for the shootout. Um, with the with with the wire comparisons to the wire herb film, I think it's different approaches because I think Kevin Costner really wanted to go into more of the true story of Wyatt Earp, and he did. And I think for some people they really liked it. For some people, they found it a little boring. I'll be honest, be honest with you, and maybe even a little long. I think Kevin, uh, Kurt Russell's performance as Wyatt Earp, even though it doesn't have the range or the character growth quite like what Kevin Costner did. I think there's something people can just identify with it more. And I think sometimes too, with our, especially with a Western, maybe we're not looking for that as much deep in-depth character development as we are just seeing a character we know and seeing consistency with the character. And I think right. Kurt, on, on that aspect of it, Kurt Russell did a good job. And I think he did give wider just enough range for within the confines of what this film was trying to, to do in the story was trying to tell. And I think that's the biggest thing is that the Wyatt Earp movie was trying to tell a little bit different story than what Tombstone was. Yeah, definitely. And that's why I do, even though it is a little long and there's certain parts of the Wyatt Earp film that uh, I don't think do as well in this film, you do get a backstory of the character and that is fascinating alone to, to watch, to watch that. So yeah, I agree. Well, guys, I want to get into the cast here because this cast is just freaking amazing here. And I'm just going to go through the slideshows here. I'll name them off. We've got Kurt Russell, of course, uh, Val Kilmer, uh, Powers Booth, Michael Bean, um, oh Stephen gosh, Lang. Lang. Stephen Lang, thank you very much. Yes, uh, Stephen Lang. Oh, there we go. Oh, yeah. Um, forgetting her name right now. What's her name? Dana Delaney. There we go. Yeah. A, a wonderful cast here. Even Charleston Heston makes makes an appearance in there. There's uh, uh, um, 
B, uh, was it uh, Sheriff Bean, uh, Billy Bob Thornton getting slapped around there. And then, of course, there's a good cast of the uh, cowboy picture of the cowboys there, guys. Uh, Lee, I want to start with a cast with you. This is pretty big here. We also got Thomas Hayden Church, just Billy Clanton. Uh, a lot of people, Michael Rooker, Sherman McMasters, Harry Carey Jr. is Marshall Fred White. Uh, it just goes on. Billy Zane is Mr. Fabian. And, of course, uh, uh, who is it? Mr. 90210 himself. Jason Priestley. Uh, Jason Priestley. Even Frank Stallone is in this one. It's just like, it's amazing how big th this cast is. Uh, Don't forget Terry O'Quinn. Yeah, mm -hmm. Terry O'Quinn. I, see, I just I need you guys for this. This is just huge. Uh, Lee, your thoughts on the cast here? Um, poorly used. I think uh, I the reason why I was brought on, I think, for this is I made a comment years ago uh, that this is a okay movie that is brought to greatness by one performance, and that's Val Kilmer's. Um, I think that Stephen Lang, um, after seeing what he did as General Pickett in Gettysburg the same year, uh, his whole thing was uh, loudmouth coward. He never did anything. Um, Michael Bean uh, was a joke through most of the movie. Uh, you know, he does his big gun trolling thing and then it's like, oh, I could do that with a cup. He's just there to be laughed at. Uh, this is about the only time that he seemed even sort of cool. And it's because he's just quoting the book of Revelation, which is a, a, a cliche. Powers Booth never did anything. Uh, Billy Zane, uh, this is worse than his performances in Zoolander. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I, I've liked Billy Zane. I, you know, saw them all, but... Uh, the behind the scenes stuff, you know, uh, Michael B and I just listened to an interview with him the other day. Uh, he's still mad about this movie. He only said five words to the director. Uh, two of them were hello there and uh, two of them were go and yourself. And I won't say the one that went in between those, but uh, <laughs> it was a it was a rough situation. But I think uh, Val Kilmer saved this movie. Um, uh, Russell was OK, but I think he was better in Soldier and Dana Delaney. uh Oh man, she's fun to look at and kind of kind of nice, but like I would have liked to see more from literally anybody, especially Thomas Hayden Church. I really was a big fan of him from Wings, and seeing what he's been able to do over the last you know couple decades, uh, I I'm like, oh cool, it's it's uh, uh what was his name Lloyd, and then he yeah. didn't do anything. Yeah. Kyle, your thoughts and uh, what do you think of Lee's comments? He's not a fan. Um, I can understand where Lee is coming from. Um, from my perspective, this is one of those times where I think you have too big of a cast and not enough time for everybody. And I think in some of these cases, too, with some of these people, we think of them now because they're bigger stars than when they were then. And so there's some of these people like a Thomas Hayden Church and um, a few others that were just kind of coming up the ladder. I mean, even pre Priestley, he he did this just basically because he's been he was trying to do anything to get out of the nine zero two one zero trap he had been in. Um, I've heard him talk about that in interviews. I think this is one of those things where you had a bunch of, especially at the top of the cast, with a bunch of guys who probably really wanted to work together, and this became the movie that they could do it with. And again, yeah, without wild question, Val Kilmer's performance is is a standout of this movie. And this is why, and is the re, number one reason I think most people love this movie. But I, I, I personally, there is something about seeing the four of them together on screen is just pretty magical. And you can, you can say what you will about it. I, it might've felt like some phoned in performances, but 
sometimes you just have a chemistry that works. And I think at least with the four of them, the chemistry worked. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Um, well, I'm going to disagree with all of you guys. And here's why. First of all, um, yes, Doc Holliday, his performance, Val, is obviously the highlight of this. A lot of people talk about this, and we are going to have that discussion next. But first of all, a lot of these characters, Kyle, and this is where I'm going to disagree with you, uh, were, were known, at least it was to me as a fan. I knew who Sam Elliott was. I knew who Bill Paxton was. I knew who Powers Booth was. I knew who Michael Bean was. I knew who Charleston Heston was. Um, but the difference I think that this film is, is I don't think any of these are phoned in. I just think that the moments they had were just short and sweet or, you know, the movie could have been like four hours long. And uh, there is the director's cut, which we'll also touch on a little bit later. I think that they did an excellent job for what they had. Like I said, this had over 80 speaking roles. And I think that a lot of these, there's a few scenes like I would have liked to have seen Thomas Hayden Church do a little bit more, but I think his moment was in the okay corral, especially when it was when he looks right before he's about to pull his gun. Magnificent scene right there. And he didn't have to say anything because his look said everything. But when I look back at the moments that Bill Paxton had, uh, he's the kind of dreamer guy, and he's the one, you know, that that gets shot and killed. And the whole looking at the uh the light before you die thing was foreshadowed. Sam Elliott seeing the little kid in the street. Just these things that were unsaid completely disagree with what you guys are saying about the acting in this. That's why this movie's so good. Not because Val Coomer is the one that overshines everyone, but because everyone has their moment. And I can, I can go back to almost any of these characters with the exception of maybe a, few, a couple of them and go, they had their moment. They had their moment. Um, you know, even uh, McMaster's character, he had his moment right from the very beginning when they, uh, when they, when they start shooting the, the women as well or raping the women, you realize he's starting to question why he's with these guys. There's all kinds of these little moments that they get. It might not be much, but they are not afterthoughts and they are definitely not mailing it in. I think they got the best out of everyone in this for the amount of time that they had. And I thought the chemistry was great with a lot of these guys as well. Now, going into Val Kilmer, guys, let's talk about this for a second. Maybe a few more seconds. We know that his performance here is the one that is the one that most people remember it and most people talk about it here. But I want to get your guys' thoughts on if he was nominated, because I always felt he was robbed of at least a nomination. Do you think it was, first of all, Oscar nom an Oscar-nominated type of role? If not, then say your piece. But if so, where would you put him in to the Academy Awards, which happened? Because now remember, this came out in Christmas time, and a lot of Academy Award movies, it's, it's kind of done with marketing and recency bias that they will come out later in the year because the Academy Awards are early the next year, and it's fresh in the uh, Oscar uh, committee's minds uh, of what comes out. So that's why a lot of those Oscar nominated roles would come out later in the year, which this one did. Uh, I could probably think that maybe, you know, um, Kurt Russell was maybe hoping to get a nomination because he had his moments, but uh, I want to go with you first of all, um, Kyle. So in the leading actor role, first of all, for the 65th Academy Awards, which was held Monday, March 21st, 1994, the winner was Tom Hanks for Philadelphia, but the other nominees were Daniel Day-Lewis for In the Name of the Father, Lawrence Fishburne for What's Love Got to Do With It, Anthony Hopkins for Remains of the Day, and Liam Neeson, Schindler's List. That's lead actor roles. 
that's a tough group there. Then we get into the um, actor in a supporting role, which is where I thought that maybe there could have been a spot for Val. Here's who he, who's, who he went up against. The winner was Tommy Lee Jones for The Fugitive. Other nominees were Leonardo DiCaprio, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Ralph Fiennes for Schindler's List, John Malkovich for In the Line of Fire, and Pete Postlethwaite for In the Name of the Father. Do you see his acting in this movie worth a nomination? If so, where would you take someone out and put him in? Okay, so th this also comes down to how the Academy looked at things between then and now, because I think if it's now, he gets a nomination. I'm, I'm going to say that right now. If, mm -hmm. if it's modern day, he gets a nomination. But Tombstone was the kind of movie that the Academy really wasn't going to throw a bunch of stuff at. Let's be, let's be honest. I think you he gets a I think you could give him a nomination for actor in a supporting role. Maybe take out um, Pete Postaway for the In the Name of the Father and put him in there. But nobody was beating Tommy Lee Jones for the Fugitive that year. That was the role everybody was talking about. This was a killer year for film. This was a I mean you had Schindler's List. Yep. Nobody was beating Tom Hanks out of Philadelphia. That was too, especially at that era and what it was dealing with and everything that was going on. This was a case where a lot of the Academy Awards, you're either dealing with the Steven Spielberg masterpiece or you're dealing with timeliness or you're just dealing with one of the all-time great actor in a supporting role runs. But I, I do think you could have easily gotten Val Kilmer nominated for the role. And I think if it was modern day Academy Awards, he would receive the nomination. Great point. Lee, what about you? Um, I would have replaced... Uh... Tommy Lee Jones with him. I still would have given the award to Ray Fiennes that year, but uh, I think that Is was it, just... So you're talking, you're talking, he could have squeezed into a lead actor role. No, I'm saying, uh, if Val, Val, yeah, I think uh, his performance was as good as Tommy Lee Jones's, but I don't, I feel like Ray Fiennes uh, in Schindler's List really was the uh, kind of the standout that year, personally. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, Fugitive did the big business and everything, but uh, the insanity of his one uh the the bathroom cleaning scene just still sticks with me like nothing else did that year yeah. but uh i i'd say he his was easily as good as tommy lee jones that year uh and probably other than people misquoting the uh uh farmhouse handhouse outhouse and shithouse uh line <laughs> i don't think you know that and i don't care like there's nothing quotable about his performance it's not really in the lexicon the way that uh, Val's is. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, of course, uh, you know, Tommy Lee won that one. And uh, also um, uh, Tom Hanks won for Philadelphia. And then the actress in the leading role, in case you're curious, uh, winner was Holly Hunter for the, for the piano. And supporting actress went to, of course, Anna Paquin in the piano mm -hmm. as well. And of course, the uh, what was it? Schindler's List won for Best Picture. Other nominees for Best Picture were The Fugitive, Name of the Father, Piano, and Remains of the Day. A lot of the uh, similar uh, movies got the uh, uh, the nods there. So, well, um, that's the that's a big topic all all the time. And I always say that I felt that Lee should have gotten nominated. And I'm thinking Pete Postlethwaite. Uh, yeah, I remember watching that movie a long time ago, and just like, eh, I just don't get it. Just don't get it. But. Uh, well, that was the world we were living in at the time. Right. So, <laughs> all right. So, um, two hours ten minutes, Lee. Not a bad running time, would you say? Yeah, I like a long one. So, <laughs> hey 
So a uh, budget of $25 million, uh, gross worldwide, $73 million. It did well. Uh, premiered in movie theaters six months before um, Lawrence Kasdan's Wyatt Earp, as you were talking about earlier, Lee, on December 24, 1993. Uh, and during its opening weekend, the film opened in third place at the U.S. box office behind The Pelican Brief and Mrs. Doubtfire. So pretty <laughs> competitive uh, December there, guys. Yes. Okay. I want to ask you guys, what makes this movie different and how does it stand out from others for you? Or is it just another Western Lee? Um, I'll keep on coming back to the performance. Uh, you know, there's something magnetic about Val Kilmer in this movie that he kind of hadn't had since some of his earlier movies. Like uh, top secret. Yeah. Top secret. <laughs> uh, definitely. Uh, but even, you know, uh, real genius uh, top gun, uh, there was a period there, and then he kind of, as much as his performance was great in The Doors, it's not, um, I need to watch this. Right. And as much as I've gone on about, you know, Wyatt Earp being a better Wyatt Earp movie, I, I don't want to watch that on a regular basis. Kind of the same, uh, you know, with, I don't really want to watch In the Name of the Father all that often, even though it was a fantastic movie. I think this one um, hits perfectly for the title of the show. This is a couch potato movie. This is one that uh, when I'm back home with my uh, stepdad and my brothers and, you know, the nephews and, uh, you know, even some of my sisters like this one, plop down on the couch at any point in this movie, you'll watch it to the end. Um, it is really fun. Uh, it's crazy. And you just, oh, wait, Doc's about to say something, you know, so you just kind of <laughs> wait for that. It's, uh, it, they they did that really well. Um, and, you know, to the point where, like, I learned how to do all the the fun tricks uh, that he does, not only with the pistols, but with the uh, the the tin cup as well. Uh, <laughs> nice. I've, I've done them on movie sets. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about the shoot them uh, shoot them ups and the gun soon. Kyle, what about you? Uh, does, what makes this movie different from others? How does it stand out for you? I think the reason why it stands out it's a twofold. One, it's an epic performance by Val Kilmer, in my opinion, his greatest performance of his career. Two. Having Kurt Russell be his straight man is just brilliant casting. And that's what I think makes it work even more. The other thing about this movie, it is a great cast. It is a lot of people you recognize, a lot of names, and a lot of different generational names as well. So there was something for everybody in this film. This film is so incredibly well-paced as well. It's There's never what I would call really long drag-out times in this movie. There's all... It keeps a good brisk pace, and like Lee said, it makes it the perfect couch potato theater film where you know you hop in at any time. You're either going to get a great Doc Holiday scene or you're going to get a great action scene. And right, it it, it it that that's what makes it magical. And they, they it hit like I said, it hit on the perfect Hollywood formula. Give us a good cast, give us a good paced movie, and you're good to go. With like the Kevin Costner Wyatt Earp, there's a lot of slow times in that film. And yeah. so it makes it a little bit harder to rewatch. Kevin, it's, it, it goes by your criteria. Criteria. It is one of the most easily rewatchable films ever made. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It's true. I, it I could drop in on it anytime and continue watching it. Uh, let's talk about our favorite scenes or moments in the film guys. Cause there's a lot to choose from. Uh, I just want to start off by, first of all, the Billy Bob Thornton scene. This is when you really kind of get to the type of Wyatt Earp that, that Kurt Russell is going to get into here. 
And it's a great scene. You're going to stand there and make you bleed, pull that smoke wagon, uh, just totally intimidates this guy and puts him in his place. And that that's one of my favorite scenes. Uh, I love it. Um, but there's, there's other scenes too that I like. And one of, a lot of them have to do with Dana Delaney. I love the portrayal that Dana Delaney does here uh, with the woman he ends up with. Uh, and I love how she loves being a woman. She likes, you know, you know, men, she wants to, you know, do whatever she wants, have fun and kind of those moments that uh, are kind of opening up Wyatt Earp's eyes in this film, Kurt Russell kind of like, you know, wondering who the hell is this? This is a refreshing moment and she's hot and she's, you know, likes to, you know, ride horses and run them out of them. I, I really enjoyed the moments here. And the fact that she witnesses Wyatt Earp in pretty much his worst moments and sees the world that he lives in and has to deal with. And yet still ends up with him. I think it's great. Uh, Lee, what are your favorite moments in this? Um, I really do like um, Doc and Ike and the boys playing poker. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just uh, like I said, I'm a bouncer, and the number of people who hate each other that will drink right next to each other and be complete jackasses to each other like this—it's uh, the one thing that I find truly realistic about this movie. It's like, oh yeah, you're you're just a bunch of criminals all hanging out, uh, partly because you know he's got the great line. I don't know. How about a spelling contest? Why, Ike, whatever do you mean? I have not yet begun to defile myself. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a great scene. Um, you know, I think uh, really has it. And I think the way that it plays out against uh, that final game of poker uh, that they have in the, whatever that convalescent home at the end. Yeah. Um, I think that's a, a very important note for the movie. So that's probably my favorite scene. Oh, yeah, that's gut-wrenching, too. Yeah, um, Kyle? It's interesting when I think about this, because there's a few scenes that I really like. One you're actually looking at right now where you see them all together, and it's great foreshadowing because they think they're finally getting away from everything. Yeah, when yeah. all the brothers and their wives are together, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I want to just a quick shout-out here, because we didn't talk about it in the cast. Paula Malcolmson, who played um, Sam Elliott's wife in this film, went mm -hmm. on to be in in my opinion, the greatest modern Western show of all time, Deadwood. Yeah. Mm. And so she, she has definitely been in some of the more historical Western things to be put out there in the modern era. But um, the scene between Michael Bean and Doc Holliday in the final shootout between the two of them Ugh. is just yeah. great. Um, the, I, I love that scene. I Honestly, even though it's one of the most crazy scenes in the film, when they're caught in the crossfire and uh, Kurt Russell's uh, Wyatt Earp just loses it and just marches on everybody. And the fact that the Cowboys become worse shots than stormtroopers during that, <laughs> during that scene. But it's just so powerful because you it's literally, you know, it's all the emotion Wyatt Earp had built up in him. No! <laughs> yeah. But, um... Too, and I got you got other scenes. Powers Booth plays a, plays a special kind of crazy in this film. <laughs> Curly Bell, yes, yeah, uh, he was good in this. Um, yeah, great, great stuff, great stuff, great scenes. But uh, you know what, Lee? I got we got to talk about guns, guns, guns here. 
because I know you have, uh, and I, I want to give you a shout out too, because, um, you have, uh, you're a stuntman yourself. You've worked mm-hmm. with all kinds of weapons. And I know that, uh, when it comes to weapons, a uh, safety is number one in your book. Uh, and so, but you've, you've dealt with all kinds of weapons, but I want to give your thoughts on some of the main weapons here that are used in, um, this movie, because, some of them are very iconic. And of course, you know, we've got the Colt single action army uh, right there. We've got, mm-hmm. of course, the, uh, the Colt special, frontline yeah. special, the famous Wyatt Earp one there. Uh, and we see uh, some of them in action here. I want to get your thoughts on the weapons on these. I mean, these are uh, kind of the classic par excellence um, cowboy guns. Um I imagine these are more common in movies than they were um, in these street fights back then, just because uh, they're hard to come by in the, in the truly pre-industrial age. Uh, but the, the cold single action, AKA the peacemaker, uh, the, the original marketing line was, um, and all of these are basically variations on that. Even the butt line special, uh, the lightning, these are all variations on this mechanism. Uh, the, the advertisement was, um, God created all men equal and Sam Colt made sure it stayed that way. Um, <laughs> this is a very um, reliable weapon, very accurate weapon, uh, even in short barrel uh, distances. Um, this is a lot of fun to shoot um, and uh, very easy to maintain. Other weapons of the time, you would see like Schofield revolvers, Remingtons, all sorts of stuff. Uh, more moving parts, more intricacy. And the... For, from a prop master standpoint, they fall apart. So you probably would have seen more variety in the pistols in uh, in history. But as you can see, basically the only thing that changes on this is barrel length. Um, but these are absolutely the most fun guns to play with. Um, as an armorer, when I come on set and I bring these, um, I always do a, a safety thing like, hey, my name's Lee. I'm the uh, fight choreographer and the uh, armorer here. Um, I have gun-shaped objects. I am going to put them in the hands of the people that are allowed to have them. If I see any gun-shaped objects in the hands of people that are not allowed to have them, I will treat them like real guns, and I will treat you like a real threat. You don't want to find out what I do. I say after that, when I'm doing a Western, I know everybody wants to come play with these. Come to me after we're shooting. I will make sure that the weapons are clear. You can do the cowboy thing because the second you put this in your hand, you will twirl it. You will try to do a quick draw. Uh, there is something about these that is so, it speaks to the imagination of our generation, my nieces and nephews' generation, our parents' generations. Uh, this is something that is in the DNA of everybody that loves action movies. Uh, they're just fantastic, uh, terrifyingly accurate and fun weapons. So. Uh, two things I want to ask you, first of all, there's this Stevens 10 gauge side-by-side shotgun that uh, mm-hmm. is favored by uh, Wyatt Earp's character here. If I remember correctly, was it the 10 gauge also an Appaloosa and it was a character of its own? Yes, sir, it was. So these are uh, when you or actually, I think an Appaloosa was an eight gauge. Uh, oh, eight so gauge. It was even, okay. even bigger. Even uh, bigger the, weird okay. th- the weird thing with shotguns is the smaller the number, the bigger the barrel. Yeah, every, every other gun, it's like, oh yeah, a bigger number means bigger bullet. Uh, but shotguns, <laughs> go figure. <laughs> right, right. And they've even it, explained it to me. I still think it's stupid. The other thing I want to ask you too was uh, I forget who it was. I was watching something somewhere. Someone 
had an issue. Oh, it was one of those YouTube videos where there was a quick draw specialist talking about uh, gun use, right? And I think it was, I forget the woman's name, but she's one of the top uh, quick draw uh, people in the world right now when it comes to single action. And she's really good at it. I don't remember her mm. name, but she was talking about like John Wicks and Tom Cruise's. But she talked about the famous Johnny Ringo uh, and um, uh, um, uh, Doc Holliday shootout where Doc Holliday has the cigarette in his hand and he doesn't let go of it. And he actually uses the gun underneath his arm to quick draw and then shoot Johnny Ringo in the head. And she was complaining saying that, you know, she, I think she gave that a low, um, a low mark for obvious reasons because that would get your arm would get in the way and blah, blah, blah. And I counter it going, it's Doc freaking Holiday. He doesn't drop his cigarette when he shoots one of the most deadliest pistoliers in the West. And it just looks so freaking cool. And maybe he was using it kind of like to cover his draw or something. I don't, she didn't bring that up, but I want to get your thoughts on that scene and the way that was shot. Uh, here's the thing. It's actually a very smart draw, especially compared to the standard way. And I'm going to actually kind of do a little demonstration here just to show the, the mechanical difference. Okay. All right. So I don't have anything on me right now, but. All right. Hold on. Hold on. Let me, let me get you in the picture here. Hold on. Okay. Here okay. So say I've got my, uh, my six iron right here. What okay. I have to do is I have to raise up. Right. And then bring the weapon. So this rotation has to happen after this. So even when I'm fast, boom, I have right. to go. If I'm bladed like this, this is how far I have to go. But the fact she was making the argument for where his arm was above it while he was holding the cigarette. Yeah, there, it's a, it's an invalid <laughs> argument. Uh, the way he's holding it keeps his his uh, weapon out of the way. Uh, it is uh, it is a very good draw, gotcha. uh, and it's the kind of thing like yeah, we want our cowboy quick draws. Um, you know, I always go back to Silverado. That is the best quick draw duel on film. Uh, when, when <laughs> Cobb goes down, oh God, it's beautiful. But that is a good one. Uh, yeah. as, as much as I've talked smack about uh, parts of this movie, that draw is everything it needs to be. Can I just also give a shout out to the end of, um, Quigley down under too? <laughs> oh yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, I know you're not a, a big gun enthusiast, uh, as Lee or I is, but, uh, did you have any thoughts on the, uh, the, the, the pew pews in this film. <laughs> oh, it, it's some of the best Western draws. And you could tell they really researched it. And yeah, I'm not as maybe as big a gun enthusiast, but growing up in my family, guns were a big part of it because of my dad's prof profession. And he has a love for, for guns. And so I, I respect, and I do, I do research it. And it's, I agree with Lee that I, there, I there's not, it's one of the best draw scenes ever as far as just the practicality of it and making sense when it happens. But I mean, just across the board, I felt like this, okay, yeah, this is probably how it would have went down in the West at, at the time. I, I think they really tried to pay specific attention to that well, and not you know, over Hollywood it. Well, Lee, the, you know how you turn yourself to the side, you know, in a draw like that? This, I don't remember them doing that a lot in other Westerns back in the day. A few, maybe, like maybe some of the Clint Eastwoods or something like that. But I, I remember it really was pronounced in Appaloosa. Um, the way that Viggo Mortensen went in for that final duel. The, how he really turned himself to the side because if he did get shot, it would be, you know, he would minimize any damage to him. But I did notice that in this film a little bit more. And, and you had obviously uh, made that point just a, a few minutes ago. So, 
so well said, guys. Well said. Had to do the guns, guns, guns with you, Lee. <laughs> All right, guys. This is the Fandom Podcast Network. We are, of course, talking about Tombstone, the 30th anniversary. And as always, we have a little movie trivia. Okay. All right. It looks like uh, Lee dropped out for a second. We'll get him back here. Um, Kyle, what do you know about trivia here? We got some stuff here. Uh, Wyatt Earp died in 1929, having never seen so much as scratched by a single bullet. The fact his name is known above, for instance, Virgil's The Marshal of Tombstone at the time of the famous gunfight, is largely due to Wyatt's self-promotion. Before his death, he walked in Hollywood circles, and John Wayne once claimed to have met him, apparently modeling his famous walk on that of Wyatt Earp. Kyle, one of the things that is brought up in this movie is the fact that um, he doesn't really get injured in this. He's a very calculated gunsman. This is There's a couple of points I want to make to this. Yes, obviously, he's famous for his guns. gunsman. One of the things I was watching at this time, and it kind of resonated with me, is Wyatt Earp was the LeBron James of his time. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> if you watch this movie, everywhere he goes, they're trying to convince him to be the lawman. Like, mm, hey, sign yeah. with our team. Be with our, be with our team. He's that well known. LeBron James right now is probably realistically the most worldwide known name on the planet. Let's 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 yeah. really be honest right now. Now yeah. the only person who might be bigger than him is Taylor Swift. <laughs> but <laughs> this is true. Yeah. But it, when you're talking about like in this, it, you could really use that analogy. And uh, Lee, you're back. I'm going to ask you ask you this um kevin talked about kind of the wider had never been known for taking a bullet his fame and everything like that and i compared it to wider might have been like the lebron james of his time just known wherever he went and anybody if he thought he was available would be trying to recruit him to be their lawman well I, before you answer that lee the reason why i i, I mentioned this in this trivia is because one thing I've noticed about this film, and I also noticed it watching some recent Dirty Harry films, and also when you compare uh, Clint Eastwood in his westerns, is that all of the shots that Wyatt Earp takes in this film are very calculated. He doesn't waste bullets. And it reminds me of like movies like Sudden Impact and a lot of Dirty Harry films. He's got a six-shot uh, weapon here, a 44 Magnum in those. And he always hits his target and he doesn't shoot anyone more than once. He doesn't have to because that gun's very powerful. But I noticed that Wyatt Earp in this film took calculated shots and was cool under fire. Um, obviously, that's how Wyatt Earp was done in real life. Uh, your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, that's kind of... There's a mindset that happens when you fight um, and fight a lot. Um, now, you either go entirely into like an instinctive state where it's like, ah, I've got to, you know, punch back, you know, boom, boom. Uh, but if you're a calculated fighter, you're going to put yourself in a position that is uh, the best way to uh, shoot and then uh, not get shot yourself. Um, and shot counting is a real good one. Um, the, the quick draw is the easiest way to not hit something. Um, there's been, um, just a ton of uh, studies of shootings, 85% of small arms fire within a range of 20 feet or less misses. Um, so when you shoot a lot, you can uh, up those numbers, but also right. like if you take the time, you start breathing, you start doing things right, 
you're going to hit your target a little bit better. Um, I was also going to go back before I got cut off. You were talking about taking a sideways. Yes. Uh, it's called uh, blading, uh, current military uh, terminology. That's when uh, you stand sideways to make yep. yourself less of a target. Uh, less of a target, but it's also a lot easier to uh, take recoil uh, from your weapon uh, because it it uh, you it doesn't just stop at your shoulder and hurt. Uh, you can actually use a muscle uh, process to uh, control your weapon and uh -huh. uh, distribute recoil. A uh, lot of interesting stuff with it, and also the uh, he's always wearing a trench coat with that, which changes his silhouette, which makes it even though he's the same size makes it harder to gauge where he's at. So like, even when they're doing that final shootout at the Creek, ah. you see like the, he got shot in the coat, but not his body. And that coat is open and billowing. So everywhere that they might be aiming, isn't necessarily where he's at, even though they ah. see it attached to him. Ah. Uh, Andrew Maybe. Jackson fought a duel that way. Even though you're not supposed to wear cloaks, he wore a cloak. He took a shot in the cloak and then uh, returned his fire and shot the guy straight in the head. So it's a, uh, it's an Who old dirty trick, Andrew Jackson. Uh, ah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's cool. I did. I didn't even consider that. That's cool. They, they looked really cool showing up the OK Corral with those coats too. So yeah. very cool. Uh, so I got some more movie trivia here for you guys. Some uh, casting what ifs. Willem Dafoe was originally the original choice to play Doc Holliday, but Buena Vista refused to distribute the film if he was cast due to Dafoe's role in the controversial The Last Temptation of Christ. Kyle, Willem Dafoe is Doc Holliday. What do you think? I think he could. Thank God that didn't happen. No, <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> too crazy. Too yeah. Too too little too little too much off the chain. What about you, dastardly? I would love that so much. That would be. <laughs> I'm your Huckleberry. Like just, <laughs> I I'm seeing every line. I will not be part of. I have not begun to define myself. <laughs> the, the crazy green goblin uh, agent, what's his name from uh, uh, oh Boondock Saints? This would be the most amazing thing to happen in the history of ever. <laughs> I would. I do want to see that alternate that universe church. version. Yes. <laughs> that would be amazing. I love this so much. <laughs> okay. What about this, guys? Mickey Rourke turned down the role of Johnny Ringo. Kyle, what do you think? He, if I have a feeling if Mickey Work had been cast, he would have probably had more lines. Mm, but yeah. um, <laughs> this is interesting because I do think it may, would make the role of Johnny Ringo a bit bigger. I mean, I'm, I love Michael Bean as much as the next person, but that's a, that's an interesting time frame for Mickey Work. He hadn't quite gone off the deep end yet. <laughs> so uh, a line quoted by Doc at the end of the fight at the OK Corral is is historically true and was reported in the Tombstone Papers reporting the fight. When confronted by one of the cowboys at point blank range, the cowboy reportedly said, I got you now, Doc, you son of a bitch, to which Doc gleefully retorted, you're a daisy if you do. Love that. The expression, I'm your Huckleberry, spoken by Doc, means I'm the perfect man for the job. It could be indeed a reference to Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn, then known as the sidekick of Tom Sawyer before Huck got his own book. Guys, I think that the most two famous quotes in this movie, because I've seen them on shirts, are your Daisy if you do, and I'll be your Huckleberry. Who owns that shirt? I almost got one. <laughs> no. When the herbs first enter Tombstone, a grave marker in the cemetery says, here lies Lester Moore, 
four slugs from a 44, no less, no more. A real-life tombstone in Tombstone, Arizona, with the epitaph, has been on display for at least 60 years. Lester Moore was a Wells Fargo agent murdered in Naco, Arizona in 1880 by Hank Dunstan. Dunstan also died in the fight and was buried in Naco. Did you guys know that? I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I did not know, know that. <laughs> to me, that Falco sounds like one of those uh, tombstones outside the Haunted Mansion. I know, right? <laughs> Here we lie, our good friend Gordon, and he finally crossed the River Jordan. Like, it just, it has that to it. Like, yeah. It does. It does. Val Kilmer practiced a long time for his quick draw speed and gave his character a Southern aristocrat accent. The Southern accent is authentic touch, as Holiday was a cousin several generations removed of Margaret Mitchell, author of Gone with the Wind. There you go. And Robert Mitchum was signed on to star as old man Clanton prior to principal photography. He fell from his horse and injured his back, forcing him to quit the part. Instead, Mitchum provided the narration at the beginning and the end of the film. I thought that was a really nice touch to have Mitchum come in and do that. I know who Mitchum is. I'm a big fan of Mitchum. Uh, Lee, your thoughts on Mitchum? Uh, I absolutely love it. Uh, I wasn't aware of Robert Mitchum until get shorty when john travolta starts talking about him I'm like oh i wonder who this is and suddenly watched all of his movies i'm like oh yeah th okay this is cool um you know and i that's cool to include him and of course uh the guy you're probably going to recommend or talk about next so. <laughs> okay oh yeah Kyle. i just want to chime in on robert mitchum I, I think he's a phenomenal actor i cannot think of the name of the movie for for the life of me at the moment, but one of my favorite roles of his is where he's playing the evil preacher chasing the kids down and he has love and hate tattooed oh. on his fingers. Is that Cape Fear? No, no. No, he wasn't um, in Cape Fear, was he? Is he in the original Cape was Fear? Was he the original? Yeah, I think it was the original. No, I, I, I don't think it was the original Cape Fear. Yeah. I, I know. I'll, I'll, I'm going to have to IMDB it because I'll know. Yeah, it. let me know. Let me know. Uh, in reality, Johnny Ringo did not die at the hands of Doc Holliday. On July 14th, 1882, Ringo's body was found lying against the trunk of a large tree in West Turkey Creek Valley near uh, Chiricahua Peak in Arizona Territory. A neighboring property owner heard a single shot on the afternoon of July 13th and discovered Ringo's body the following day. His feet were wrapped in strips of cloth, torn from his undershirt, probably because his horse had gotten loose from its picket and bolted with his boots tied to the saddle. Uh, sounds like uh, he might have uh, committed suicide here, it looks like. Yeah. So, Kevin, but you know, yeah. Night of the Hunter. The Night oh, of the Night Hunter. The Hunter. Mm. I've never seen that. Never seen that. What year did that come out? That came out in 1955. 1955. So, during the famous gunfight, this is the last bit of trivia, guys, members of the two opposing parties were initially only about six feet apart. That's close. And about 30 shots were fired in 13 seconds. Uh, Lee, when you look back at that fight in this film, and I've I've watched the special features of this. I don't know if you have. Uh, when it comes to the actual fight and the time that they did to try to make it as accurate as possible, with the exception of the three shots from the double-barreled shotgun, uh, how did you uh, like that scene? You know, they caught the insanity and chaos of a quick gunfight very well. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, um, speaking of quick and the dead, the long shots, the push-ins, all the crazy stuff like that you can do to stretch a, a fight out, they didn't do that. Uh, they made it very claustrophobic, which fights are. 
they made it intense and like chaotic, which fights are, and um, they put people in danger, which fights do. Um, I thought it was all really fun. I, um, I do wish Thomas Hayden Church would have done something with that cool knife. I, I've always wanted one. Uh, the Bowie <laughs> knife with a little uh, uh, right. whirler handle there. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very cool knife. So uh, one of the things that I always like to talk about in these segments of these movies, of course, is the physical media, guys. And uh, let's go ahead and talk about a little bit of maybe a laser disc. <laughs> I do have the Laserdisc, and I also have the DVD and the Blu-ray. And that original DVD, the weird kind of cardboard snapshot thing, that was the first one that came out in 2002, I think it was, was this one right here that I'm holding in my hand, and that is centered in the uh, uh, pictures of the DVD and Blu-ray releases there, guys. Just want to show this one really quick. This one's my favorite. This is actual DVD release, not the Blu-ray. And uh, this is the director's cut, which has about six minutes of extra footage, which I will uh, be talking about shortly because there is some scenes that they do put in there. But one of my favorite things about this, this DVD release is it comes with uh, a old map replica of the actual diagram, the gunfight at the OK Corral, the beginning as illustrated in Wyatt Earp's own hand in 1919. And he shows where everyone is standing and where things started, mm -hmm. where they talked to the uh, the sheriff and all that kind of stuff. And it's a great little thing. It's almost worth framing. I got to mention that. So if you ever see these in the wild, make sure to pick one of these up, especially if it still has this thing in there. Um, Kyle, did you get this on uh, physical media when it first came out? Oh, yeah, I definitely bought this on physical media. I had that original slap shut DVD cover. And um, I, by the time it, I got around to upgrading, it was to a digital version, which I have on iTunes. Nice. Uh, what about you, Lee? Um, yeah, I had that. Uh, like I said, I had that DVD went with me to Paris. Uh, the same one that you just showed, actually. Uh, remember picking that up uh, shortly before leaving. Uh Classic. Uh, you got to love the two disc sets. You got to love uh, behind the scenes. Uh, you're one of the few people I know that I never need to ask if you've seen the behind the scenes because you're like me. You're weird. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I did get the Blu-ray just because uh, I had to, but it's not the extended uh, director's a cut. I'm hoping that maybe we'll get a 4K of it in the future that has both options on it. Um, there's a few scenes in it that they add. And I do want to talk about that, guys. Uh, and I'm going to mention a few of the more notable scenes that were added uh, in the um, director's cut here. First of all, you get a little extended scene between Maddie and um, Wyatt Earp about her and her drug use. Uh, you get another scene where uh, you see kind of basically Doc Holliday kind of drinking himself to death, basically. Uh, and he's one of the signs says, close your eyes with holy dread. Uh, and then you get an extended scene of Doc Holliday's girlfriend, basically, uh, you know, him, him leaving her. And, we, you know, it. there's a little more emotion to it, which is pretty cool. But the one scene they add, which I definitely thought was needed because it confused me, and I need to ask you guys about this. And that's the famous McMaster scene because this scene was cut out of the theatrical as well as the DVDs, DVD for a while. And I was always confused with it. Now, to backtrack of the listeners that are watching this, Remember uh, that um, 
the McMasters, uh, who's played by, uh, oh God, I'm John Blank. Michael, uh, Rooker. Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker. He's the one that defects to um, uh, our hero side, sort of speak, you know, to, uh, um, uh, I don't know, what, what did they call themselves? What are they? The sheriffs? The uh, the law? You know? the cow- no, no. He leaves the Cowboys to go to. Um, oh, they were marshals. They were, yeah, they were marshals. The white, the white herb side. Yeah. And uh, wide open but, his immortals. Exactly. There you uh-huh. go. Thank you. So we don't see the scene where he says, well, let me go talk to them. Basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here because who joins the Cowboys is Sheriff Behan. You don't really see a lot of that. And that's maybe one of the little uh, you know, things I have a problem with it because when McMasters is looking through his spy scope from a distance where Val Kilmer's hurting on a horse and need to get him shelter for the night, you see Bean running with these cowboys and he has a sheriff badge, including Jason Priestley's character. But we don't really get anything more from Bean after that. But McMasters goes in this deleted scene and meets up with them. But we don't see that originally. And so all we see is this body being uh, dragged by one of the cowboys. And at the time, I didn't really know who McMasters was because there were so many people in this movie. And I realized this is the scene that we should have seen. And you get to see it where he goes and, uh, you know, Johnny Ringo says, you're a cowboy, not a dog catcher. And then, of course, Ike Clanton says, uh, just one thing. How are you going to get back to them? And, of course, uh you don't see it, but they do shoot him and they kill him and they drag his body back to um, uh, the uh, uh, the good guys, basically, and says, you know, Johnny Ringo will be waiting for you and blah, 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 blah. Did you guys know that that was McMaster's right away? And did you know who he was? Because for a while, I didn't, Lee. Uh, I did, probably because when I saw this the first time, I had already seen uh, Mallrats and I'm like, oh, cool, it's uh, Mr. Svenning. <laughs> uh, so he was just like one of these people that with I a stinky act- hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. He came down with a sudden case of diphtheria. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, I have two friends that were in that movie. So upcoming CPT, we got to do it. Um, but yeah, this was uh, one of those. Uh, this and um, Billy Zane's Mister Fabian. Yeah. Like, why we didn't see those? What, like that's the kind of thing. Like I wish would have. He just shows up. He yeah. just shows up. Shot basically. Yeah, and yeah, and suddenly we have uh, Jason Priestley riding with those guys with no preamble. We just knew that he was a uh, a theater aficionado before that. Like and being kind of kind of a groupie. Like, he was kind of a yeah. groupie. You know the way so, he was painted. Yeah, yeah. So like, I really wish we would have seen this because uh, you talk about a guy having an interesting character arc. You know, when yeah. he drops the sash and says, "I'll ride with you guys," like that was a, you know. He had a, a great story in this that just yeah. kind of stood in the shadows. Kyle, do you remember this? Do you remember this being Masters, the guy whose body was dragged? And, and yeah, this- I, I I do because of the stand-up moment with the sash really stood yeah. out for me in that. And then that's the thing though that, and when I talk about earlier with this movie, how it's so tight, but there are a few scenes I would have that I still think we should have seen Ike get his comeuppance. I think we should have seen the sheriff get his comeuppance because really you don't see him again until that chase scene where you see him, Ike throw the sash and then one of the shots, you see the sheriff riding with them. It's kind of a forgotten thing. Yeah. Ike, Ike gets away three different times in this film. First of all, he gets away from being shot in the head uh, in the beginning with the standoff when they're trying to uh, take uh, Curly Bill to jail. 
And then he throws his hands up again in the OK Corral and survives that. And then he survives again when he throws his sash and he's getting chased. <laughs> oh, and he gets he gets survived again at the train station when his buddy gets shot and he's you know given the yeah. message by wife, <coughs> tell him I'm coming. So it's four times he yeah. runs away. <laughs> he gets out of there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this I the, I do recommend the extended version. Uh, I don't think all the scenes are vital, but it's nice to see them. And it, to me, it doesn't really you know they don't really. Uh, like like you said, Kyle, this movie's very well paced, and it's an, it's only an extra six minutes. And this scene, I think, is a really good payoff here with McMaster's. Yeah, um, Lee, I was going to go back to the uh, the previous slide. Uh, in the wider movies, uh, Maddie Blaylock and uh, Big Nose Kate both had uh, much more well rounded roles, and you kind of get a sense of like the turmoil of you know I of Wyatt being in love with the actress, uh, but you also get. Uh, uh, I mean, Isabella Rossellini was playing Big Nose Kate in, in uh, the Kevin Costner. Just a fantastic performance. That one, that one was one that deserved an Oscar nod. And I believe it was Keir Sedgwick played um, uh, Maddie Blaylock in the Kevin Costner one. But yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I feel like those would have rounded out some of the sides a little bit better. Well, guys, let's go ahead and wrap this up. I want to get your uh, now and then segment that I like to put in these couch potato theaters sometimes. Your perspective then and your perspective now, has it changed? Uh, this movie obviously has endured for a while. Uh, I remember someone calling it a cult film. I'm like, nah, it's not a cult film anymore. But it's definitely uh, one of those movies that has endured, uh, especially when you start when you rank um, just great ensemble casts because there's a lot of good movies that have that. Westerns, of course, um, you know, uh, as we said, great Oscar worthy performances that weren't recognized. Lee, you want to start with you? Um, mine's gone up and down over the years. Uh, as much as I can criticize a lot of the parts of this, I still enjoy it. Um, so this is one perfect couch potato movie. Uh, I, I'll probably still watch this 10 more times before I die. <laughs> nice. Kyle, what about you, man? Where does this stand? Perspective. It, it, it's, it, I think it's very much stands as its own place in history because at the time, Westerns weren't that huge. And Westerns have always kind of gone through a cycle in Hollywood. In fact, I think we're kind of in a high Western cycle right now thanks to Yellowstone and mm -hmm. the work Kayla Sheridan's been doing with oh, his yeah. other shows. You've got The Lawman, Bass Reeves out right now, a few other things. So I think we're in a cycle where Westerns are kind of in recognition and true, we had true grid a while ago too yeah, yeah the remake but yeah. i think this one just stands on its own pedestal in the aspect again of the amazing val kilmer performance the cast that is in this movie and just it's still in my opinion i'll say this without ease it's one of the most rewatchable western films of all time yeah i would agree with you personally yeah you know uh one of the things that i really pay extra attention to, especially with this, the special features and what they, you know, and, and we do know that, uh, you know, the director, uh, Cosmatos, um, is it George Cosmatos. Yeah. George Cosmatos that he's the director, but of course we do know that, uh, Kurt stepped in and, and, and took, took control on a lot of stuff. But, you know, when you watch all the special features, you see George there on there, you see George doing his things. 
you know, and, and of course I'm sure that was done on purpose, but um, when you see him interviewed, he gets the movie, he understands what they're trying to do here. And I love the fact that this town was a boom town, silver, all kinds of stuff. It, a lot of rich people came here because they were making money here and they would show off their wealth, you know, whether it's these nice clothes, their jewelry. And they talked about that in the behind the scenes and the things that they would wear, the things that they would possess. Meanwhile, there was the regular people that, you know, um, the second class citizens, as you could probably say, that weren't so lucky, you know, uh, the ones that Virgil, uh, you know, kind of stood up for when uh, he realized that he wanted to, uh, you know, take on, um, you know, the problems of the Cowboys and the rest of the crime that was taken here. And uh, I just, it, you know, this was all filmed in, in, in Arizona. They did a great job with the sets. They did a great job of trying to make Tombstone as, uh, you know, the town as realistic as, as Tombstone was. And, you know, I know they took some liberties with what happened, but, uh, you know, you can go back and, and read the original uh, newspaper reports and the reporting on it. Um, you know, even though everything's not obviously accurate to me, this feels like the best movie interpretation of what happened there. And we have to remember too, and I, I touched on it earlier that what happened in Tombstone um, sent messages everywhere when it came to handling crime, uh, what, how, how not just desperate, but how calculated lawmen were going to become, even if they had to kind of act like some of the villains to get rid of these really bad people and put them behind bars and eventually just kill them. That's why they called it the wild west. You know, it's, it's one of those things where the lawmen had a lot of power and sometimes it was, it was abused. It's true. But with someone like Wyatt Earp, he had a reputation. He was respected. He was feared. And I love the fact that after he retired, he, you know, he was brought on as uh, you know um, when they were filming Westerns, he was an advisor he was a rock star when it came to uh, those early Westerns, you know, especially when you think about the people when he passed away, the people that were his, his pallbearers, the famous people like Tom Mix and all these other famous uh, Western people at the time. Um, you know, and, and I like that one thing that you learned while watching this was that Kurt Russell really kind of got that he had a horrible conscience and he had to deal with it somehow. And he found a woman to help him live a life. And I just, I, I would like to see that story. I want to see them on their own story and their adventures, you know, maybe it'll be a Hallmark movie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, I just want to give you guys any final thoughts on Tombstone as we wrap this up, Lee. Um, you know, uh, I'd go on and on because I have not yet begun to defile myself, <laughs> but uh, you know, this is one uh it's just fun. You know, I, I do love uh, the bad Latin because uh, it it's bad. It's not very well translated, but it's fun uh, or well written out. But uh, yeah, I'm, I was this close. Wait, wait, hold on. You know, you know, Latin, right? Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> what were they saying there at the bar? Because it's, uh, it's not subtitled. Well, in vino veritas means uh, it uh, basically in wine is truth. Magicaragis uh, and magisterum. Here is my... Um, uh, I keep my uh, my strength by my side, uh, basically kind of like, hey, uh, I, you know, uh, I'll shoot you if you keep talking. Um, I'd need to go back and do it, but uh, there's some poor uh, conjugations in there. <laughs> but right. it was still like, it, it's sort of the kind of like, you have to be a true dork to know what they were saying, <laughs> you know. And uh, I honestly think that it was a, a throwback to um, uh, 
uh, Lonesome Dove because they had uh, one of the main characters kept on saying things in Latin and nobody was there to say whether he was uh, lying or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kyle Lee know, knows Latin. That's uh, pretty cool. I, uh, I forgot about that. He's, he's smart. Uh, your final thoughts on Tombstone. And thank you, by the way, for uh, coming in while you're, I know you're feeling a little under the weather. Yeah, I'm ready for some more latinum here in just a minute. But, um, <laughs> it, it, sure, it's the same bottle, guys. It's, re it's really the same bottle. But um, th this is the quintessential couch potato theater film. This is a film that is made in a way that it is a, from the get-go, you're drawn into it. It's amazing performances. It's one of those movies that you can pick up at any point and finish it and watch it or just watch those couple of scenes you have the time for and go from there. Um it really it it is on a pedestal of its own, as I said earlier, especially for that time frame as, of westerns as when it comes out. And I mean, I just you know, it's completely quotable. It's it doesn't stop. It's it's just like I said, it's it's about as perfect of a couch potato theater film you can get, and that's why it's here on couch potato theater. And um, some of my like I said. If nothing else out of this movie, it is, in my opinion, the greatest performance of Val Kilmer's career. I would completely agree with you there. Well said. Uh, you know, when I was re-watching this for this podcast, I, I, I started it, right? And you get the uh, beginning. You, you get the intro by, of course, Robert Mitchum. And then you get the cowboys doing their dastardly deeds at the church and the wedding. And then uh, I was hungry. And uh, I was realized, wait a minute, I need to pause this because I am ready to dive deep into this. And uh, I, I went, watched it completely, uh, didn't even look at my phone. And uh, I just realized, I, I, as Kyle said, it is completely rewatchable. And there's just so many wonderful scenes in this. It's well paced. And uh, I really got to give it up to, um, I got to give it up to Kurt Russell too, because he did a really good job uh, diving into this. And just with everyone growing their own beards and mustaches and Ike Clanton being drunk, apparently, Stephen Lang <laughs> being the method actor that he is on set. Go for it, man. I love it. I just I love all all of these different details that really put this uh, awesome movie together. So, all right, guys, let's go ahead and close things out here. All right, guys, this is Couch Potato Theater, of course, here on the Fandom Podcast Network. And if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you very much. Please like and subscribe. We'd appreciate that and share it out. Comments down below. We want to know what you guys say. We appreciate that. Uh, the Fandom Podcast Network, of course, is on Facebook. And uh, our master feed for all our audio podcasts are fpnet.podbean.com. Got to say that right there. fpnet.podbean.com. <laughs> Uh, and also please, uh, follow us on all of your uh, major podcast platforms, Apple podcast, iTunes, among others. As I mentioned, we're on Facebook. You can email us at fandom podcast network at gmail.com. Uh, fandom podcast network is also on Instagram and Twitter. My name is Kevin Reitzel. I am on Twitter slash X now. Uh, and, uh, I'm at Spartan underscore Phoenix as well as there on Instagram and threads. Kyle, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter slash X at a Kyle W or on Instagram and threads at a Kyle fandom. Awesome. Lee, where can we find you? Because you know, for those of you that don't know, but maybe you do know or don't know, Lee is my co-host for our Highlander blood of Kings podcast. Uh, love talking, uh, immortality with you as well, but where can we find you? Uh, right behind you. I'm waiting. 
Uh, no, uh, you can find me. On, that was creepy, uh, but well done. <laughs> uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram at the way of the way. You can find me on Facebook under my name, Lee Fillingsness. You can also uh, follow my production company, Madman Road, uh, and my stunt and uh, martial arts company, uh, Double Action Martial Arts. Uh, always doing weird, crazy stuff. Awesome. That's very cool, man. Very cool. Appreciate everything that you're doing, uh, posting all the pictures of your work and uh, being safety conscious as well. Uh, always respect that and appreciate that. That's uh, all right, guys. Job. <laughs> yes. Uh, again, please, like I said, if your podcast provider allows reviews, give us reviews. We appreciate that. And uh, uh, until next time, thank you for joining us here on the Fandom Podcast Network for the special presentation of Tombstone 1993, celebrating its 30th anniversary. I'd like to thank, of course, my brother Kyle and also my very good friend and co-host of Bloody Kings, Lee Fillingsness. Until next time, we will see you on the couch. Thank you and goodbye, everyone.